Welcome to the Share Life Podcast with Jason Scott Montoya, where we explore stories and systems to live better and work smarter. Welcome to an inspirational people interview on the Share Life Podcast. Today I'm speaking with Natalie Bourne. Natalie, say hello. Hey, everybody. Good to have you. you Natalie is a speaker, podcast host, and founder of Innovation Meets Leadership, a product strategy consulting business. We originally got connected through her husband, Aaron, uh, many years ago, and have both been involved uh, at different levels in different seasons of life at Victory World Church. So Natalie, thanks for for having us and, uh, or thanks for sharing your life with us today. Um, tell me about you and your story. Yeah. Um, man, thanks for having me, Jason. This is fun. And, and like you said, we have a uh, long history because you know, my husband, Aaron and everything like that. I would say, you know, for me, my story, um, probably took off in high school as I was trying to figure out like, what do I want to do with my life? And I think many people have that kind of crossroad. And for me, I where, just where are you from? What I'm what, from Atlanta. From? So oh, okay. So you're a I rare went to like breed. Duluth High School. Yeah. <laughs> so like <laughs> local, local. Um, yeah. And I thought that I was going to study genetics. Like there was something about like uh, hair color and eye color and mm. skin color. And like, how do you all get that through like genetic code and, and DNA? And I was so fascinated by it all. Um, and then something interesting happened. I got accepted into AP Bio and then almost failed out of it. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so obviously this is not going to be my <laughs> You path. like it, but maybe not <laughs> enough. <laughs> right. So then, then I was like, okay, well, what can I do? What, what am I interested in? If I'm, if it's clear, I'm not good at this. What am I interested in? And that actually led me down um, a number of classes, like in the area of business. And so mm. um, that is kind of what sparked my whole journey was just not being good at one thing and being like, okay, that's one thing we can check off the list. And that launched me into something that I'm really super passionate about, which is helping people launch big ideas, which I absolutely love. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. No, I can, I can relate. I went to college for 3d animation. And, uh, I realized in retrospect that I went, I love animation and, and I did it. Um, but I, in terms of like being the technical person, that wasn't, uh, what I wanted to do. And so, um, it would have been much better to have taken a, a business course. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you, uh, how does, how do you end up, you know, launching this, this business that helps bring big ideas to, to life? How does that intersect? Yeah, well, there? Yeah, that's a great question because, you know, what ended up happening in my world is, um, you know, went to college, uh, actually went to Georgia State my first year. I'll be super honest. I didn't love the hugeness of all the, the vastness of all the classes and some other reasons. I ended up transferring to a really small private school called Oldthorpe University here in Atlanta. And uh, I finished up the last three years of my career there. But what was what, what was so interesting about that is, you know, 19 years of age, that school was super expensive. I had to work. So mm. I went out and got a near full-time job working um, at, it was called headhunter.net at the time. They later got bought by careerbuilder.com. But what was cool about it was I got the opportunity to have a real job at the age of 19, right? So most kids are at college partying. I'm working, like I'm, I'm going to work. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at, a, at a very early age, I just learned like, work ethic and, and how to build in integrity to your work. And what does it look like? You know, what ends up happening to people at work when they don't have integrity? Like you're getting to see all these things before your eyes as a 19 year old. And so 
originally I thought, you know, I'll stay in this role until I graduate from college. But after I graduated, they offered me. So I went from answering, you know, calls in the uh, customer service uh, team to becoming an account manager. Then a year later, I'm doing uh, training and development. So all the people were hiring, I'm, you know, I'm training mm. them. And then a year after that, project manager. And then a year after that, I, um, I on a whim, went to this, uh, to this interview and said, hey, I don't even know if I'm a good fit for this job or not, but here's my background, here's my experience. And I ended up getting the job in product development. And then that's what took off for me, was getting to spend you know, the bulk of my career helping to launch ideas, launch products, um, help take something from an idea all the way through to a, a full-blown product that's making money. And so that's kind of where I got my my anchor in loving just the world of product development and taking, helping people flesh out their ideas, but then taking mm -hmm. that idea from like zero to 60 and figuring out how do we, how do we bring this into the market? Yeah. So yeah, that's interesting. So you mentioned a couple things. Um, you, how do you, so you've, you've been in a lot of different roles, which is giving you a lot of different types of experiences. How do you, how do you relate to how those um, helped you at a strategic level, how does being a project manager and account manager and all these different roles, how does that help you be a better strategic uh, visionary? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, it's interesting. One of the things that I find really important, um, just even in the innovation space that I work in is empathy. Like empathy mm. is so important and knowing how to empathize with who you're building it for will help you build a product for them, not for you. And I think that going through all those different roles help build empathy. It's uh, I always joke with my husband and we talk about how like, you know, anyone growing up should have to work in the restaurant industry so they can, when they come <laughs> in for a meal, right? They can have empathy for their server and empathy for um, the people that work there. And I think that that's kind of at the heart of what I, the work that I do is we can't build anything until we understand who we're building it for. So mm. part of that empathy is also just having empathy for your customer, your buyer, whoever you're working with, and then backing into, all right, how do we build that for them? So every role I took on gave me empathy, like mm. answering customer service calls and like someone's yelling at you, right? That gave me, that just gives me daily life empathy, right? When I have to call customer service for something. Yeah. Um, I think all of these things just shape you and they give you different vantage points in the organization. And so I think true strategists know not only how to build the strategy, but they know exactly how it impacts the front line and the mm -hmm. people that they're building that strategy for. And so that's such an important part of when you build a strategy, you can't just build it and disappear. You have to see it through and you have to see how it impacts all the way down to the frontline person that has to see that strategy out. Yeah. And I think the word I'm hearing from you that you're not explicitly saying is sustainability. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have that empathy, you could certainly come with a plan and you could execute that plan and you could burn through people. But is that really sustainable? Is that right. what I'm hearing? That's spot on. So it's, it's not a very nice way to say it, but in the corporate world, we always say, did you implement a solution? Um, and you might've gotten it done and gotten it out there, but there's, there's a trail of dead bodies behind you. Essentially what it means is, hey, we ran over a ton of people in order to get it done but you got it done. And so that form of business is going away. Like yeah. that way of thinking about business, that way of thinking about people, it's it's quickly exiting as it should be because part of what we need to think about is not just what are we doing, 
but why are we doing it and who is it going to impact? And so, yeah. and that's internally as well as externally. And so if we're creating a huge strain internally on the organization, um, that's not okay, right? We can't, yeah. we can't do that. We have to think through the most efficient way to do things. And that's why I love automation and automation projects because a lot of what you're doing is saying, how can I make people's life better? How can I make their life easier? Um, one of the roles that I was in as a project manager before I moved to product development is we would actually outsource um, to West Indies and then and Nevis. And it yeah. was such a great project because it was a win-win. Like we were taking functions away from the teams that didn't want to do those functions because they felt like they were just too like mindless, like, hey, I'm just clicking things. And we brought it to a country that was really excited about getting to work on something new and something they'd never seen before. And so it wasn't the type of outsourcing where it's like, your job's gone. It's moving here. It was the type of outsourcing where it's like, hey, okay, great. You've done this for two years. You're tired of it. Let's give you a little bit higher level things to think about. Meanwhile, these people are really excited about doing this work and they have energy behind it. So let's make it a win-win to where everybody can get kind of the benefits of, of what they're looking for out of, out of the situation. Yeah. So I have a, this might be a little controversial, but I'd be curious if you think more women in the workforce is going to help us have more empathy. Yeah, I don't think that's controversial. I mean, I personally think that men are wired a certain way and I think women are wired a certain way and they're wired in ways that they're complementary to each other. I think oftentimes we try to pit men and women against each other, um, not realizing that our original design, the way we were designed by God was to complement one another. So in the yeah. areas, I'll use my husband as an example, in the areas where he is awesome, I'm terrible. And in the areas where he's terrible, I'm awesome. And so if we cannot compete with one another, but complement one another, then whenever he and I work on a project together, we're really successful. Whenever we compete with each other on that project, the project is doomed. <laughs> yeah. and so, you know, I think that men and women are created to be complementary. And so there are going to be things that women just naturally bring to the table that are not things that men are thinking about. And so, and there are things that men bring to the table that women are not naturally thinking about. When you bring the combination of those things together, it really makes a powerful team. And so I love that question because if we can truly step into the identity of who we're called to be, then we're not trying to be like other people. We're just walking out the call that God's placed on our lives and we're just being ourselves. And as a result, we're able to see the results we want. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So tell me, what does it mean to live better? Like, how do you think about that idea? Um, is it an idea that you apply in your life? Hmm. Yeah. You know, that's <laughs> such a, such an interesting question. It, it almost feels like a little bit of a loaded question because what does better mean to you? I think you have to start there and ask, well, what does better mean to you? I think mm -hmm. for me, um, there's probably like a, like a, kind of dichotomy that comes together for me. Um, I, for, for me to live better, I need to be in my purpose. Like I need to actively be working on something that I feel called to do oftentimes. And I think we've all had this at some point in our career where we were doing stuff that didn't feel like it mattered. didn't feel like anyone cared. Um, we didn't feel like we were making a difference. And so that for me, is um, a point of tension. So whenever I feel mm. like I'm in a role or a situation or maybe on a project where I can't add value, that's really hard for me. So I try to put myself in the sweet spot of places where I feel like I'm fully alive, like living in the purpose that I feel called to live in. Um, 
And then along with that is passion. Like I yeah. have to be passionate about what I'm doing. Like if I'm not passionate <laughs> about what I'm doing, forget about it. Right. So that passion really fuels me. And so, um, how I know if I'm passionate or not is I usually just get out of the bed in the morning. Like I just feet mm. on the ground. I'm ready to go motivated in seasons where I'm not passionate. I can tell because I struggle struggle to get my feet out of the ground, put them on the floor and say, let's do this. And so that's really a meter for me that I'm always looking at to say like, am I, am I in my sweet spot? Am I, in my calling? And then the third one is peace. Like I, as I get older, the more peace matters to me. And that's really, um, you can look at that more of like even cultural peace, right? Like how do you have peace in the culture that you're in? So am I in an environment that's highly political or am I in an environment where there's open innovation, open ideation, the ability to pitch your ideas, to uh, feel heard, to feel seen? So those are things that matter to me. And, and oftentimes when I'm not in a situation where uh, I can kind of step in and truly be myself, then that piece really comes in for me of like, okay, what does it take to get back to a pl place of peace? I have a coach that talks all the time about peace over performance. Yeah. And so she talks about how we have a peace self and a performance self. And oftentimes, especially as Americans, we can get into this <laughs> thing of like performance, right? Where it's like, yeah. well, to get accolades, to get attention, to get money, to get title, like we're always trying to perform for something. Um, but when you walk in a place of peace, you know who you are, you know who you're called to be and you're living that out. And so you can walk into rooms where maybe there's a little bit of contention and still know why you're in the room and what you're called to be there mm. for. So this is something that I try to stay in that kind of that trifecta of like peace, passion and purpose. And when I'm there, like, I feel like I'm firing in all cylinders when I'm not, man, it is, it can be tough. It's hard. And you have to figure out, okay, how do I get back to what I'm called to do? Yeah. So how do you navigate the tension between, you mentioned um, being in your purpose and the motivation um, and sometimes not having that motivation. So what happens when you are living in your purpose and you're doing something that matters, but you actually don't feel it? The feeling doesn't come with it. How do you navigate those moments or seasons? Yeah, no, and that's good. Cause we, we all have those seasons where maybe like you can look at it and say, I'm in my purpose, but this is not a great season, right? Like something about this season is tough. And so I think part of what we have to ask is, um, and I love, this is kind of the way I love looking at just work in general as well, is I always ask myself, is this a learning season or an earning season? Like sometimes some of the goals that I have, I need to earn in order to accomplish things. And so sometimes I just have to knuckle through it and get it done. And I know it's not like the end all be all, but I have to ask like, can I still, do I still have my integrity? Do I still have some of these other areas I care about? And so maybe it's an earning season and I'm really trying to accomplish some goals. Sometimes it's a learning season and, and those can be good or bad things. Like sometimes we're learning and it's really hard and it kind of stinks and it's not enjoyable. And sometimes we're learning and we're like sponging it up and we're growing and it's amazing. And so I can remember um, a season like that for me, it was right around when the economic crash happened in 2008. And I was um, working in a role that I loved. I mean, I absolutely loved it. I was kicking butt and taking names, at least I thought so. <laughs> and then the economic crash happened and all of our roles got moved around. And I got moved yeah. to a role that I didn't want to be in. Like I didn't ask to be in there. Nobody asked me. They didn't talk to me. They just moved me. And I was devastated. Like I... I was like, why would you do this to me? It's like, you just, you know, took my feet out from underneath me. 
And I remember going to um, a friend of mine and saying, hey, can we just grab a coffee? I'm really struggling. And I remember he, he slid this John Maxwell, the crucible worksheet <laughs> over to me and asked me to just fill it out. So I was sitting there and I was filling it out, filled out the front and back. And after I was done, I looked up and said, all right. And then he said this, and I will never forget this. He said, Natalie, you've been at this company for too long. You've created an amazing, um, you know, just name for yourself. And in the last several months, I see you ruining that with your attitude. He's like, you, if you want something, you need to go after it. What is it that mm -hmm. you want to do? If you can't figure it out here, then you need to leave because it would be better for you to leave and not tarnish who you've been the last several years than it would be to stay and slowly degrade the you that we all know through your bad attitude. Yeah. And in that moment, I was like, man, I really am mad at you right now. That was so rude. How could you <laughs> say that to me? <laughs> but as I started to think about it, I was like, he's right. So yeah. what I'm at a crossroads. What am I going to do? I'm either going to change my perspective on the situation I'm in or I need to leave. And so what mm. I decided to do was change my perspective. So I actually uh, took a couple weeks, thought about what he said, did a bunch of research. And my issue was I wasn't really being utilized. Like they weren't utilizing mm. me even close to my full capacity. I did a bunch of research, put it all together, marched into the CIO's office and I slid it across his table and I said, this is what I want to work on. And I said, here's why, here's where I can think I can make an impact. Here's what I think I could be doing. You guys aren't utilizing me. It's a waste of your time. It's a waste of my time. You either need to utilize me or we need to part ways. And he said, I'll give you one better. And he partnered me with one of the fastest growing departments within the company. And my career just shot off and took mm -hmm. off from there. And so it was one of those things where it was a defining moment of like, I can either just accept that this stinks and this is the way it is, or I can change my perspective. And so oftentimes, like you mentioned, when we're in those harder seasons, sometimes it's not the, the, the role or the thing we're doing that needs to change. Sometimes it's our perspective and the way we're looking at it that needs to change. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of layers to that. Um, I guess one of them is kind of interesting is for whatever reason you couldn't get there, you needed an intervention. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about that idea of intervention? Um, and it kind of ties into your comment about peace a little bit in terms of the tension yeah. of like an intervention is kind of like kind of breaking the peace but it's for a greater piece, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it is for a greater piece. And I think, I think what's so difficult is even as I think about like today in society, I feel like now in society, a conversation like that would be a lot harder because most people don't want to hear the truth. Um, and so most people don't want you to tell them anything negative. They don't want you to expose their blind spots. They don't want you to call them up to hire, but there was something, um, really powerful about that moment because I also had to submit to what he was telling me and I had to be teachable. And oftentimes I think where most people struggle in life is being teachable. Um, this person wasn't a boss. Um, he was kind of like a peer. So he was a little bit further along than me in, in his career. And so I had a lot of respect for him, but he really didn't have to say any of that. I mean, he actually put our relationship on the line and he put himself on the line by saying these things to me. And so as I stepped back and thought about all those things, I realized he doesn't have to say any of this. Like he gets no benefit out of telling me <laughs> how it is. Um, but the fact that he did, it changed something, the trajectory of my life. It changed 
the um, ability to to harness feedback, even negative feedback for good. And I think that that's something that a lot of people struggle with of taking something that may sound negative on the surface and harnessing it to grow them. And so that yeah. for me was a stake in the ground. It was a moment of truth to say, everything about this hurts and feels bad. But if I can harness that into um, my future reality where I'm going to take the feedback, really look at it, weigh it, and think about it, I could actually be doing something I enjoy because all I needed to change was my perspective. Yeah, how we frame things matters a great deal. Mm -hmm. So um, the, I guess the, like, how would you go about, like, if when that opportunity comes your way and you're on the other, you're him and somebody else is you, how, how do you navigate that uh, where you'd have to intervene in someone else? Yeah. You know, um, that, you know, when you lead people, that is your job and it, it kind of stinks and it, it's hard <laughs> to say out loud sometimes, but like, you know, that is our job as leaders to, to lead other people, um, towards change. It's our job to lead other people towards a better form of who they are called to be. So there's something, there's a tool that I love to use all the time. It's called the Jahari window. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Um, I think I have, but I don't remember what it is. Yeah. So like the Jahari window is if, almost like imagine yourself looking out a window pane and there's like four sides to that, that window. And so the one side that is obvious is like what everyone knows about you and what you know mm. about yourself. So, you know, you have brown eyes, you have brown hair. Like those are things that people can just look at you, observe, and they know that, Hey, this is who you are. But yeah. then there are these other areas of, so for example, if you go right below that window pane, you go to things that you know about yourself, but you haven't mm -hmm. disclosed to others. Um, then you that's have the lonely, that you, that's the loneliness panel. That is, it, really, it truly is. It really yeah. is. If you think about it. Um, and then you go to the corner. That's like the things that you don't know about yourself and people don't know about you. And a lot of times that's because you haven't been put in those situations. So how would you handle being on a ski slope if you've never skied? Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. You know, because you haven't been there and no one's seen you there. But there's this other area and it's our blind spots. And it's the area of things that you don't know about yourself, but people know about you. So yeah. it might be, <laughs> you know, hey, when you're in a meeting and someone says this, you handle that badly. Or if you're, um, you know, if, if someone gets ahead of you in line, this is how you handle it. It's those blind spot areas where you kind of think you're fine, but everybody's like, oh, he's not fine. Like something's off. <laughs> yeah. And so what he helped me do that day was expand the Jahari window, right? So one of the ways you expand your window is you give and receive feedback. So it goes mm -hmm. both ways. And so the goal is that we live as open a life as we can, right? Like, especially yeah. if you're listening to this and you, you believe in Jesus, like our goal is to live as open of a life as we can, to share as much as we can, um, yeah. to not, you know, live under shame and condemnation and hide things and stuff like that. So a lot of what we're trying to accomplish is we're trying to open that window as wide as we can, because our life shouldn't, we shouldn't live in secret in certain areas of our life. That includes anger, that includes blind spots, things like that. So yeah. part of the goal of any leader is to leave people better than they found them. So one of the ways we can do that is help them experience how to open those win that window by understanding the different parts of themselves, and then by being able to give and receive feedback. So when I yeah. give feedback, that's a vulnerability. When I receive feedback, that's a vulnerability. So mm -hmm. something I, I love to do and teach teams to do is to 
um, at the beginning of every meeting before it starts, or you can do it right at the end, say, we're going to take five minutes. We're going to partner up in to, you know, two people with two people. You kind of need to know each other a little bit, but I would love for you to give and receive feedback. So take one moment and say, hey, you know, Jason, I wanted to let you know one thing I noticed that you're doing amazing is this. One area I think you can be even more effective in is this. Let him receive that feedback, give you any thoughts, and then switch partners. And now it's your turn to say, one thing that you're doing right now that is really effective is this. One thing you can do to be even more effective is that. So what we're doing is learning how to give and receive feedback to each other. This is a lost art form. Most people don't wanna receive feedback. They're not interested in what you have to say and they find feedback hurtful because maybe it was done in a really poor way before. But what I love about this method is it's quick, it's kind of painless and it also opens your eyes and kind of begins to expose those blind spots that you might have. It exposes yeah. those areas that maybe you've thought were hidden or Maybe you knew something was awry, but you couldn't put your finger on it. You start to expose those areas so that you can begin to change. Yeah. So how do we learn to, to take feedback, especially if it's hostile and, but possibly true, you know, what uh -huh. if it is a true thing, but it's done in a hostile way, should we learn to take that type of feedback and, and receive it? Yeah. So this is something that I learned early in my career and it has served me very well. All feedback must be weighed like it has to be weighed like like think about a scale right um jason if you and i have worked together for five years and you give me feedback that holds way more weight than someone i've worked with for five minutes yeah so if you're giving me feedback and we've worked with together for five years i need to weigh that heavier than someone i met five minutes ago and is telling me what they think about me yeah. and so that to me orients a lot of the feedback you receive. It puts it in different weight classes, if you will, in terms of how you would actually harness and garner that feedback. So then let's say that someone does give you feedback and they do in a very hurtful way. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people don't know how to give feedback because they haven't practiced it. And so sometimes when they do it in a hurtful way, they may have kind of reached their limit. And so they're now in kind of the explosion mode, right? So they've kind of gone past all of their barriers and now it's exploding. And that typically happens when we maybe don't have good, clear lines of communication open with people. And so when we don't give people enough space or time to give us feedback, then sometimes it can result in an explosion. And so what I find is important is if you do have someone that's giving you heartful feedback, um, what I like to do in the moment is not respond. I'll say something to the effect of, hey, I, I hear what you're saying. Could I have 24 to 48 hours to process what you're saying? And can we come back and talk? So that allows me to step out of the emotion of the situation, not blow it back, not go off on them uh, in kind, but to go away and really pray about it and think about it. And then to come back and say, okay, hey, it's been 48 hours. Thank you for giving me that time. I've thought about the feedback. There's two things I want to say. One, I really felt hurt, hurt in the way you did it. And we can put that aside right now and talk about that at the end. But I want to talk about the actual feedback you gave me. Here's the feedback you gave me. I've weighed that feedback. I've thought about that feedback. And here's an area where I think I can improve. Here's what that could look like. And then once we clear that up, I'll say, now, hey, I want to talk to you about the way that you provided that feedback. That really hurt. I'm wondering, how can we communicate in the future sooner 
so that you don't feel so angry and so frustrated? What could that look like? Should we have a weekly check-in? Should we um, should we have a daily stand-up? What can that look like for us to be able to change the way you communicate feedback to me? I'm fine to hear your frustrations, but I'm not fine with the way it was delivered. So what does it mean mm -hmm. to you to work smarter? So, uh, yeah. So working smarter, I think, is one of those things where um, a lot of people it sounds great, right? It's a great mantra, but how do you actually put that into to work? And I think what's hard about that question is the closer you are, the harder it is to see how to work smarter on something. And so I can remember I have an executive coach and I was talking to her at the beginning of last year and I was just lamenting about how busy I was and I'm doing this and that and the other. And she said this phrase to me that was so funny. Um, she said, well, Natalie, you know, wherever you go, there you are. And I think it was a call to like step <laughs> back and say, okay, so no matter where I go, I, I take on a lot. I'm, I have a high level of responsibility. So I'll take, I put a lot on my plate and then it was stepping back and saying, but what do I need to take off in order to be more effective? What are things I'm involved in that I don't need to be involved in that somebody else is more than capable mm. of running with and doing. And honestly, they might even do it way better than me if I'll just step out of the way. Yeah. And so I think part of working smarter is, is asking yourself that question constantly. And I love, um, Kat Cole has this thing called the hotshot rule. I don't know if you ever heard of this, uh -uh. but she talks about, you know, Hey, what if a hotshot was to come in, you were to get fired and they're there, they're doing uh, your job tomorrow. What are the three things that they're going to change in your organization and what you do? How are they going to look at your business or whatever you run and, and look at that and say, Oh, these three things need to change. They said, if you can step back in that way and do that in your own leadership and in your own business, then you start to realize all the areas that you've been just allowing to kind of push you around that you need to actually step up and do something different with. So I love that because it just orients you on like, oh yeah, if I was to step into this today, what are the three things I would call out that need to be changed? Well, then why don't I go change those? And so for me personally, that was letting the smart people do their job and stepping back and doing what only I can do so that they can do what only they can do. So let's talk about mentoring. Um, you've kind of already mentioned it um, in terms of uh, the intervention we talked about earlier and, and ways that it's played a role, but let's dive into that deeper. Like, what do you think about mentoring? How does it play a role in your life? Yeah. So I think you always have formal and informal mentors. Like when I think about that moment with the, the guy that helped me in that season, that was an informal mentor. It was just somebody that asked to come alongside me, help me. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out a specific situation. We can also have situational mentors, right? Where, um, you know, you may have a friend that mentors you in the area of parenting, but they, you would never ask them about finances or something like that. So, yeah. um, you may have mentors well, for certain. Yeah. I'd, yeah. I'd be curious about that. Cause, um, I've been kind of thinking about the idea of trust and I think sometimes mm -hmm. we sort of use it in a universal sense. Do I trust you or not trust you? But right. I think it may actually be more helpful to go, well, I trust you in this way and I probably mm -hmm. don't trust you in these ways. That's and right. it seems like that's kind of what you're saying there. Yeah. I mean, like you would never trust your dad to fly a plane because he's not a pilot unless your dad yeah. is a pilot. Yeah. But you know, it's one of those things where unless you're the person you're talking to is a pilot, you wouldn't trust them to fly a plane. And so oftentimes we think if I, if you're not great with your checkbook or your finances, then I can't trust you in any other area versus saying, no, you're 
you're not great with your finances, but you're an amazing parent. I see the way that you interact with your kids. I see how awesome that is. And I want to learn more from you in that area. Um, I've had friends who tried to give me advice that have filed bankruptcy several times. Well, guess what? I'm not going to listen to your financial advice. But if you want to talk to me in an area where you do have authority um, to give advice, I'm super <laughs> open to, to listening and hearing that. So I think a lot of it is understanding not only with ourselves, but with others, like where do you have the authority to speak? Um, there's an awesome woman that we follow each other on Instagram and she's a baker and she's like, do you coach businesses? I'm like, I don't, I, I wouldn't even know where to start to help you coach a baking business. But um, my background's in technology and innovation and, and large enterprise scale and things like that. So where it comes to helping you figure out how to launch and get off the ground your baking business, I'm not your person. Well, I'd love to yeah. figure out if I know your person, but I'm not your person. And so I think it goes both ways, right? Not only do we need to recognize the skill set that is in others or is not, so we know where to get advice from, but we need to know that about ourselves too, because we don't want to lead someone astray and give them the wrong perspective <laughs> yeah. or the wrong advice. Mm. And so that has been something really important for me that I think I've learned over the years of like, where does my voice need to give weight to? And where do I need to be silent? And I think that's an important thing because a lot of times we all feel like we always have to have an answer to everything that's asked of us. And sometimes like that's not a topic I need to lend my voice to because I may not know enough about that topic to do so. Yeah. So how do you know, how do you figure out how to discern when to, when to speak and when to be quiet? That's a good question. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think that that discernment comes one through experience, but two through that wheelhouse that we talked about. So um, oftentimes, like, let's say I'm talking to somebody and they're kind of unfolding a plan or path um, that they're going down. I have to first ask myself, have I ever been where they've been? Have I been ahead of where they've been? If I've been ahead of where they've been or I've been where they've been, then I think it's appropriate for me to ask them if they're interested and what I have to say. And I think that's so mm -hmm. important because oftentimes we just kind of like put our opinions upon people like, hey, well, here's what I think you should do. And they're like, well, I didn't really ask. I just wanted you to listen. Yeah. <laughs> and so I need to ask them, hey, what role would you like me to play in this conversation? Do you want me to listen? Do you want to just have like an ear that can just hear what you're saying? You just need to bounce uh, some things off. Do you want me to be a listening partner? Or do you want me to help you solve the problem? Like, should we work together? Should I, you want me to collaborate with you? So sometimes people are just looking for a thinking partner. Sometimes they're looking for a collaboration yeah. partner, uh, a listening partner. And I think it's important for us to know, like, what are people looking for in that moment so that we can, you know, show mm -hmm. up as our best self for, for our family, our friends, whoever that is. But for me, it does come down to like, if, if they're going into an area I've never been in, I may say, Hey, you know, what are you looking for today? And once they yeah. tell me that, well, I'm looking for your advice. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you off the bat, I have never been where you're walking before. Like, let me just start there. However, if I was walking where you're walking, here's some things I'd be thinking about. Here's some things that I'd be wondering. Here's some things that I'd be doing. And so I think it's really important for us to not try to be like, well, what you need to do is when we have no authority to speak in that area, but instead it's like, hey, here's some things you can think about, or here's some things to pray about as you go on this journey or as you take this path. Yeah. Well, and I think you're hitting a lot um, on people are, we are creatures of the heart. We are creatures of desire. Um, so what we want, and we're also, we have what we want, which we may not even know what we want, but we're also really bad at communicating what we want. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes because we don't know, but sometimes because we're guarded and we don't want to be vulnerable. 
and be subject to rejection. So I think there's an interesting dynamic there when it comes to what is it that people want um, and really understanding what they want and meeting them there versus what we think they want or what we want them to want or what mm -hmm. they might be even presenting as what they want, but not really what they want. So what would you say to that idea? Yeah, that's, that's spot on. And I think that, um, you know, this is like the age old argument that husband and wives have, right. Of like, I don't want you to fix my problems. I just want you to listen. And the husband's like, well, I feel useless if I'm just listening and not helping you fix it. But I think it's like part of what it means, again, going back to that word we talked about earlier to have empathy of like, how can I best show up for the people in my life? And so understanding, I love asking this question, Hey, as we have this conversation today, what role are you hoping I'm going to play in this conversation? And I might give a couple of examples, but that always helps the person say, oh, okay, well, you came ready to give me advice. That's actually not what I'm looking for. Kind of just need to vent. Oh, okay, cool. I can say, uh-huh, uh-huh, really well. Like, <laughs> if that's what you need in that moment, just to be able to like, I just got to get this off my chest, or I just need to say this, or I need to get it out. I don't want to show up as someone who's going to tell you how to, you know, 25 ways to solve the problem when you're just not there yet. And so I think yeah. so much of it goes back to that idea of empathy and like showing up as what that person needs in that moment. And then also being able to communicate to them when you, how you need them to show up when you are also in the middle of trying to discern, you know, you're at a crossroad, right. And you're trying to figure out should I turn left or right. They're the ones yeah. that are going to help you by answering that same question of how, how do I need to show up for you right now? Yeah. So what would you say to that person who, uh, they need an intervention, but they don't want an intervention. Like, how do you meet them where they are, but also, you know, recognize that what they need is not what they want. And so they're not actually going to change until they can have that same want. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting. You know, the thing I think about truth is like, it does reverberate even after you're gone. So depending on what the topic is, um, you need to ask yourself, the first question is, is this a topic of like, integrity or um, like, for example, uh, if you had a friend who was going to do something that was uh, like going to get them put in jail, for example, <laughs> that's a different thing than like you and I see it differently. And so mm -hmm. often I think sometimes we treat things like you and I see it differently as like the jail scenario. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes we come on too heavy. We push too hard when it's honestly, it's like preference. It's like blue or green, right? Uh, purple yeah. or pink. Like it's just a preference. And so I think we have to ask ourselves, is it a preference issue or is it like a, a true like integrity mm. issue? If it's yeah. an integrity issue, it's our job just to give the truth and let the truth yeah. set them free. So sometimes we have to say a hard thing and we have, we have to say it in a way where, you know, we have to be as kind as we can, but we still have to say the hard thing. Yeah. Um, if it's a matter of preference, then I'll, I'll couch it with, Hey, my preference is this, but at the end of the day, it's just a preference. So yeah, honestly, choose whichever door you want. It's just a <laughs> preference, right? Um, yeah. But I think when it comes down to matters of integrity, we have to speak the truth and we have to speak it freely because that is something where, you know, anyone would want looking back, someone to have talked them off of certain ledges, right? That they went yeah. on. Um, I can remember my aunt who has since passed away. I was um, 19 years old, bless my heart. And I was engaged <laughs> to this random guy and everyone had tried to talk me out of it. And everyone told me it was a horrible idea and I wasn't listening to anyone. And then my aunt called me and this was such a defining moment for me because she didn't tell me not to do it. She didn't tell me 
I was wrong. Like everybody else did. She told me a story and she said, Hey, I want you to know that, you know, this person said the same phrase to me that they said to you. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what's concerning me. She said, and I remember walking down the aisle saying, God, would you please help me to love this person? And it was like, it was like, almost like I had a veil over my eyes and it just came up and I realized, oh, I'm in this relationship because of some things the person said to me, not because that, you know, this is genuine love and I want to do this for the rest of my life. And I broke off the engagement because of that story she told, because of that one conversation and just that snap realization of like, I'm not supposed to be here right now. And so sometimes, you know, what she did, which was so powerful, was she shared vulnerably. She shared her own story and her own journey, but she helped me understand how it might parallel with mine. And then she left the decision in my hands to decide. Uh, knowing that given the right information and just praying for me that I would reach the right outcome. And so, so often I think, you know, we want to try to control people, yeah. control situations. And there's something really impactful about giving somebody the information, the facts, doing it in a loving and kind way where you don't destroy the relationship as a result of that, but you actually can build on that relationship yeah. because of how you did it. Yeah. Well, and there's something about narrative and story that, uh, bypasses all the firewalls into the heart. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's sounds like what happened there. And so are there, are there any other stories that have shaped you as a person that you'd want to share? Yeah. I mean, I, first of all, I love stories. Like I, that's one of the things I talk about in my LinkedIn profile. I'm just, a, I love to tell stories. And I think that stories, like you said, they impact people in such a powerful way, even more so than, than anything else. I think that when we're speaking or when we're talking, people don't always remember what we say, but they remember the story that we told. And so one of my favorite stories that, um, that I love to just, just think about and, and talk about a lot is, um, is it's a kind of a, a funny story, but it's, it's one I tell in consulting all the time. And I think it just helps people think a little differently. And it's about um, this, and I'll tell it really quick, but it's about this <laughs> company and they're trying to solve this problem. They've had this problem for a really long time and they're trying to figure out how to solve it. And they've hired all the best consultants and all the smartest people and, and they've spent a ton of money and they still can't solve the problem. And so basically um, this is in California where they have like um, the, the, the kind of the um, electric lines freeze over. I don't know if you ever heard the story in the winter time. Mm -hmm. And so they couldn't figure out how to solve the problem. So kind of last ditch effort, they brought their team into the room and they were like, they split them up into groups and they said, okay, we're going to try to solve this problem. It's costing us a lot of money. It's bringing, it's bringing lines down our linesmen. So the men that actually care for the lines, they have to go up, trudge up in the snow and they have to like shake the lines. Mm -hmm. and, and that's how the ice comes down. It's super dangerous. It's time consuming. And so they're all sitting in this group. And this person says, well, um, why don't we, uh, you know, they're, they're just pitching different ideas. And so the first person says like, hey, so um, last time I was up in that area, I got chased by a bear and everyone starts cracking up. And then they pause and someone says, well, why don't we have the bears shake the ice down? And then everyone just dies laughing <laughs> and then it gets quiet again. And they said, but no, seriously, what if we did that? And they're like, okay. I don't, we haven't figured this out. How would it work? So they said, well, what if we put honey pots up on top of the like pylons? And what if the bear climbs up the pylon to get the honey pot and then he shakes the ice and it all comes down and they start this roaring, laughing again because they knew it was ridiculous. And someone said, okay, fine. 
honeypots on the pylon. How's it going to get up there? And so they start laughing again a little bit. And then someone says, um, why don't we fly helicopters over the um, over overhead and we'll drop them down like with a wire and they'll sit on there and then the bear can climb up. Everyone starts laughing again. And then um, what was so cool was this nurse says, you know, I was a nurse in Vietnam and the downwind from those, from that, like just the wind from the helicopter is so strong that nobody could actually be around. So you'd actually scare the bears away. And then someone said, hold on, can you say that again? And she was like, well, the downwash is so strong. Like it would just remove all the ice. And they were like, hold on, wait, what? <laughs> and like to this day, that's how they remove the ice from these electricity lines is they have a helicopter fly overhead. The downwash mm. is so strong that it actually removes all the icicles. So what was so cool about that story and like why I love that story so much is because it speaks to what can we build as a team if we have psychological safety? So often we don't build psychological safety in teams. And so when you tell somebody an idea, we laugh at you, not with you. <laughs> like it's different when someone's laughing with you because we're all laughing versus at you because I think your idea is really dumb and I think you're kind of an mm. idiot and I can't believe you said that, which what that does is it shuts innovation down. It shuts everything down and then you don't want to continue to participate because you'll be deemed a fool, mm. right? But yeah. when we have psychological safety, what ends up happening is we start to build on ideas, even if they're weird, even if they're odd, even if they're crazy. And then eventually we get to something that was a real solution because so often the human psyche works where we have to get the dumb idea out so we can get to the brilliant <laughs> idea. And if yeah. we don't feel free to get the dumb idea out, we'll never get to the brilliant mm. idea. Somebody always says, oh, that's stupid. That's dumb. What are you talking about bears? Gosh, get, why are you even in this room? And then that just begins to erode psychological safety. So that, that story yeah. is silly, but it's, it's funny yeah. because it's so, well, real. I think there's something to, I think the, uh, a, a true scientific mindset is someone who's sort of putting out hypotheses that are actually absurd in many ways, mm -hmm. but they have an idea. They, they're putting it out there and, and we're kind of the idea of the, the scientific mm -hmm. process is to test that idea. And, um, if we filter it out before we test it, if we filter it out too early, mm -hmm. we run the risk of filtering out ideas that maybe seem absurd to us, um, but are actually uh, worthwhile. And I and I think what kills that and what you're describing is is uh, dogmatism or tyrannical mm -hmm. um, um, sort of uh, a, a sort of thinking of things like having a solid understanding of how things work and, and not being open to anything outside of that. That's right. And, um, and that dogmatism has a way of sort of crushing the spirit of, of creative folks. <laughs> yes, that's spot on. <laughs> so let's talk about systems then, because you're also now describing uh, how do you create a system of psychological safety? Mm -hmm. So how do you think about and use systems in your work and life? And Yeah, you know, one of my favorite quotes is by Craig Rochelle, and he says that bad processes and systems make good leaders look incompetent and that mm. good processes make even bad leaders look competent. And I think that's yeah. really true that when we have good systems and processes in place, even bad leaders can hide because the system mm. and process just 
works for itself. And so, so often I think when we don't have good systems and processes in place, people have to do heroic efforts in order to get things done. One of the um, things I love using just in my work is it's called the CMMI. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's like a capability mm. maturity model integration. And what it looks at is what level of maturity you're at in a certain process. And so it could be as, as, as uh, small as a level zero or level one, and then it goes all the way up to level five, which is fully optimized. Most people only get to a level three, which is like just defining what you're doing and, and documenting and everyone doing it yeah. the same way. But it's, it's kind of that idea of having, let's say five project managers and they all run projects differently. Yeah. Oh, that's gonna be really rough, right? So you're gonna have some that are flying by the seat of the pants, some that are very like organized and methodical. And it's like, how do we get, when people are onboarded into the organization, everyone to know that this is the standard and this is our way of working. This is how we do things. That's to me, the beauty of systems and processes is that we can create a standard that we can live up to. And then we can hold people accountable to the standard. Oftentimes when people uh, can't be held accountable, it's because we haven't documented it. We haven't trained them on it. We haven't explained it. And there's just an expectation in our head. That's yeah. not their reality because we haven't told them. And so as a leader, the, the question I'm constantly asking myself is, am I clear? Have I been clear? Yeah. If the answer to that's no, then I have to start there. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Cause I, I ha take that mindset of like, if somebody, if it's not working with somebody, um, I always like to fix the system. So make sure we have clarity on, on, on vision, the process is clear, the tools are working. And then if the person still can't succeed, once the system has been fleshed out, then they're probably not the right fit, but their, okay. their struggle can actually help us make the system better. That's really good. So, um, but I also think the other thing that came to my mind was I was thinking about, um, our political leaders, um, mm -hmm. how horrible many of them are in terms of just bad character or corruption, but we have such, um, uh, we have such strong systems and institutions in our country that it, it holds <laughs> or it has held so far. So, um, so that's another area that, that I, that came to mind as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so what, what parting words of wisdom do you have? What did you want to share that you didn't get a chance to yet? Yeah, no, I loved this conversation today. I thought it was awesome. And just the, the different lanes of thought that we, we traversed was really cool. Um, one thing that I just want to anchor on that we've talked about is feedback and, looking at feedback as a gift and asking yourself, when is the last time I've had feedback in my own life? Uh, who provided it? How did they provide it? And then how did I respond when they provided that feedback? I think so much of our life is about growing. Sometimes it doesn't even matter where we're going. It just matters if we're growing in that, right? We, we spend a lot of time of, should I take this job or that job? Should I go left or right? And sometimes it's, it's more about the journey that you're on and who you're becoming along the way. And feedback is such an important part of that process, that journey. It's a gift. And so the question is, you know, when is the last time you've received feedback? Who did you receive it from? How do you handle it? And what would it look like for you to go and get some feedback um, so that you can continue to grow along your journey? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good. I, um, I think a lot of times we focus on the external, like the behavior um, instead of going, well, who's the type of person that does that type of behavior? And perhaps people are simply doing what they want and we have to help each other um, want different things. And so, right. yeah. So ha tell us what you're up to. Um, you have the podcast, you have your business. 
Um, let's what's, what is this podcast you have and who'd be a good fit to, to start listening to it? Yeah. So, uh, my podcast is all, it's called innovation meets leadership and it's all about, you know, I really believe that innovation and leadership are the two kind of driving components of success in the marketplace. So you really have to lean into both of those in order to be successful. So we bring on uh, successful people, uh, Jason, you're going to be on our, uh, podcast as well. So this is kind of a, a dual thing. I, I love when we can like Hey, join me on this podcast and then jump over there and, and hear Jason. So he'll be on mine as well. Um, but it's really all about innovation and leadership. So how do you launch big ideas? How do you make big ideas happen? That's what the platform's all about. I also have a book coming out in June um, of this year, 2023. That's going to be all cool. about innovation. It's called Set It on Fire, The Art of Innovation. So it's mm -hmm. some of these principles we talked about today, Jason, it's just taking those further really grounding in some of these principles that you and I have been talking about. Uh, we have a lot of shared language where we kind of say uh, the same thing. And that's that's really what it's all about is creating that shared language for how do we help teams move forward and launch uh, big ideas. Yeah. How long have you been working on the book? A year. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I yeah. mean, you know, you're always working on it probably well before that, but yeah. just pen to paper, it's been a year. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. It's uh, I've uh, I'm working on my third book and, it's derailed into a very long process. It's, um, um, I think I'm in year three now. So, okay. but, it, but, um, but it feels like having a child, like I've never had yeah. a baby, but I imagine it feels like having a baby where it once really it's does. done, it's like, Oh my goodness, all the labor. And then it finally, I, yes. I see the beauty. <laughs> so true. So true. <laughs> and okay. Tell us about your company and who, what you do and who you do it for. Yeah. So um, innovation meets leadership. Again, we help people launch big ideas. So, you know, for example, I work with uh, startups who are going from zero as in nothing exists on paper to full blown product to even just helping people think about top line strategy and execution. So how do I get from here to there? What processes and systems do I need to put in place in order to to get there. Um, so a little bit of innovation, a lot about, you know, uh, systems and processes like we talked about today, um, because systems and processes are really the, the kind of that foundation for any innovation you want to build. What happens oftentimes is uh, people reach out to me for innovation, but they need that foundation layer in place first. So I help them that build that so that innovation will run smoothly within their organization. Cool. Now, what are the websites for all of this and social media? Where are you at? Yeah, so super easy to find. It's um, at Innovation Meets Leadership on all the social platforms. Um, you can obviously find me on LinkedIn at Natalie Bourne. And then uh, InnovationMeetsLeadership.com is my website. Okay, so innovate, InnovateMeetsLeadership.com. Innovation. Yep, InnovationMeetsLeadership.com. All right, cool. Well, thank you, Natalie, so much for sharing yeah. your life with us today. Absolutely. It was fun, Jason. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Share Life. For additional stories and systems to live better and work smarter, visit jasonscottmontoya.com. That's jasonscottmontoya.com. We look forward to having you listen in on the next episode of Share Life.